Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, thanking you for joining us on the Monday broadcast. And as you know, on the Monday broadcast, I try to kind of give a sermon from Sunday sermon. So today we're talking about a very important subject. We're talking about compassion. And have you ever thought, why is it that crime seems to be running rampant? I saw a church sign, and I thought it was kind of funny. It says, whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. And uh, I think about all that we have experienced and people stealing things. And uh, not only stealing, I mean, to me, that's kind of small potato stuff compared to the violence that we're seeing and the crime that is running rampant. As a matter of fact, on Monday, March 21st, 2022, a 73-year-old grandmother died after a violent carjacking down in New Orleans. Local authorities reported that Linda Frickley was jumped by four teenagers in the afternoon on that Monday in a mid-city neighborhood in New Orleans. You know, after doing some shopping in that area, uh, we discovered that this 73-year-old woman had jumped into a car and these four thugs jumped into the car and she tried to get out. Unfortunately, her arm got stuck in the seatbelt and they took off and it severed her arm and it ended up killing this 73-year-old grandmother. Now, we think about things like that. It's just a small example of the numerous things that we see uh, as far as crime running rampant. As a matter of fact, it seems like things are getting worse and that we've become less compassionate. As a matter of fact, a news reporter, a national news reporter, decided to find out why it appears that things are getting worse or why things are getting worse. And so they interviewed Pastor John MacArthur. And uh, I thought it was very interesting what he said. He didn't pull any punches. And uh, he says, well, the reason we see uh, an increase in crime, an increase in evil, is because we kind of have forsaken four divine restraints. And I want to summarize the four points that he gave. And uh, I think it's so relevant to understanding this matter of compassion. We have lost our compassion. Evil is running rampant because, number one, we have rejected the knowledge of God. You know, God has revealed himself to us, and he's revealed himself through creation. And uh, he wants us to understand, just as there's order to creation, uh, he wants our lives to have order, but we won't understand the importance of having order if we don't know who God is. For example, God gives us some natural laws, like the law of gravity. And you can't violate that law of gravity because even if you try, God's not going to suspend those laws. Uh, Those are laws that just happen. There's laws of morality, and God's not going to suspend those laws. If you reject him, as a result of rejecting him, the restraints that God places are also being rejected. Uh, So number one, we've rejected the knowledge of God. And even though uh, the majority of people in our world today believe that God exists. It's well over 90%, but it is slowly eroding. Years ago, maybe 20 years ago, we only had about 3 or 4% of people who claim to be atheists. Today, that number is up about 14 or 15% uh, that claim to be atheists. And so we still have 85% or so that believe that God exists. And so this knowledge of God is so important because if you don't have a knowledge of God, Uh, You don't feel like you're answerable to God. If you don't believe that he created anything, you're not responsible to report to him. Uh, He has no authority over you. There's a second thing that he pointed out in this interview. Not only have we rejected the knowledge of God, uh, his natural laws and the restraints that he has placed within us, we've also rejected the law of God. 
And we could say that the law is given to us, and we know that we have it because it's this conscience that God has given us. Even when you're born, when you're first born, you have this conscience, right? And this conscience says certain things are right, certain things are wrong. Where did that come from? That is the law of God that is placed upon our conscience. Unfortunately, our conscience can become numb. It can become numb to what is right and what is wrong. If you do something that's wrong long enough, your conscience no longer begins to stop you from doing that because you have been convinced in your mind that you become numb to it, and actually wrong becomes right, and right becomes wrong. And as we think about our conscience, every culture that you can imagine, and I don't care if it's a a country that is halfway around the world, there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong, and that is part of the proof of the existence of God. Where'd that come from? Right? If we are just um, a bunch of things that have just come together and we just have evolved from, from an animal, there should be no moral compass, right? But we do have a moral compass. And when we violate our conscience long enough, all of a sudden we discover that we have nothing to hold us back. Now, you know that God put this little thing in your brain, and I don't know what they even call it, but it will stop you. You know, if you get in a fight, for example, uh, you have this thing, so okay, I've won this fight. I don't need to kill this guy. I, I've, got, I've got control over him, and I don't need to go all the way and kill him. Something stops you from doing that, right? It's part of your conscience. It, it stops you, right? When your conscience becomes seared, when you reject that long enough, you go right past it. Uh, I remember years ago, I was uh, covering a story in the uh, outside of Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, there was a, a very heinous crime that took place where a daughter and her boyfriend killed her mom and dad. And the, the guy that uh, was the boyfriend, he was a Rhodes Scholar from Germany, and he was a, a UVA student. Both of them had met at UVA, and they were home in, uh, went home on the, uh, a weekend to the Lynchburg area, and they decided that they would go ahead and take out her parents. After they brutally stabbed them both to death, I mean, I can't imagine, there's blood everywhere. Uh, It it looked like a typical crime scene. After they had finished this heinous crime, uh, they started up the oven, put a frozen pizza in there, waited for it to cook, and sat down and ate it. And uh, and you wonder, how could you do something that bizarre because your conscience has been seared? Uh, So we've rejected the knowledge of God. We've rejected the law of God. So God puts another divine restraint. It's called the family. And as we think about the breakdown of the traditional family, it has increased or contributed to the increase of evil. I don't know about you, but when I was coming along, if I got in trouble at school, I got in trouble when I got home. I would always pray, Lord, please don't let my, my mom find out I got in trouble at school. And don't let my, let my teacher not call her because I know when I get home, I'm going to get in trouble again. You know, one time I was talking to my dad about that. I says, you know, dad, this is law called double jeopardy, and and you can't be tried for the same crime twice. And I says, I got in trouble at school. I shouldn't get in trouble at home. He said, double jeopardy doesn't apply to the family, (laughs) okay? And so he, he held me accountable a second time. My mom held me accountable a second time. But unfortunately today, the, the breakdown of the family has contributed to this increase of evil. Well, you know, God has one more restraint. He has the knowledge of him through creation. He has the law of God revealed through us through our conscience. And then we had the family, but that's been breaking down. But there's one more restraint that God puts in. We'll call it the police, or we'll call it the state, or we'll call it the government. But by the time you get this far down, society has smashed our restraints. We have become lawless. 
And so when we think about this issue of being compassionate, I want to look at two Psalms over the next couple of days. And we're going to look at Psalm 82 today. And then we're going to look at Psalm 8 tomorrow. But Psalm 82 is a Psalm that is written by a guy by the name of Asaph. Now, Asaph is featured prominently in the book of Chronicles, and he's described as the chief of the Levites. He was uh, appointed to be a minister, and uh, his job was to get the Israelites together to create a band, to create a worship team. And, uh, and, and the reason he originally was appointed to this position is because he was to appoint and, to, and he was to practice with singers to celebrate the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord. And so he would get people together and uh, sing songs of thanksgiving unto the Lord. And uh, he was also described in Second Chronicles 29, not only as, as a great musician, uh, not only as one who would bring about songs of thanksgiving, but he was also described as a, a prophet or a seer. And so he would also have this opportunity to kind of see what the Lord was up to. And prophets had the ability to see the future. And so he would do some things to help the people prepare to hear from God, kind of like we do today in our worship services, right? You have a choir, or you have a worship band, and, uh, and they're to prepare the hearts for the message. And so Asaph did that, and his temple singers would get together, and they were really important during difficult times. The only times of Thanksgiving, uh, when they were, for example, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, but also in times of exile. Uh, we learn of Asaph's singers in the book of Ezra, in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, they, were, they were singing to encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ as they were exiled and to encourage them when they were building the wall around the temple because, you know, they were fighting a battle. They weren't just building those walls around the temple. They were on one hand building, so they had a, a, a trowel in one hand, but on the other hand, they had a sword. Uh, so you can imagine it can be very discouraging. You're trying to build something on one hand, and you're trying to defend yourself on the other hand. So they kind of had two major things happening. And so to keep them encouraged, the sons of Asaph would sing, and they would encourage everyone. And now we know that uh, the sons of Asaph also have kind of a bad group of people that was with them. There's actually a cult that spun off from the descendants of Asaph, and that kind of uh, was a bad part of what they did. Uh, and that just proves that you got to be careful because just because you're spiritual doesn't mean you're right with God. And, and so when we think about being right with God, uh, we got to be right in his word. And so Asaph is given the credit of writing at least 12 Psalms that we know. Uh, we know that he wrote Psalm 50 and he wrote Psalm 73 to 83. And uh, so we're looking at one of those Psalms today. And as it is being written, Asaph and his descendants are talking about the people. And beginning at verse number one, it says, Psalm 82, verse one, God presides in the great assembly and he renders judgment among the gods. Okay. Now, now it's interesting. That's a small letter G, gods. And it's talking about those who are our leaders. It's not talking about idols per se, but it's talking about those who are leaders. Now, the same word God, small letter G and capital letter G is the word Yahweh. And so what Asaph is beginning to do here as he establishes this song uh, in the form of a written psalm, he's saying, you know, God is going to hold us in judgment, not just for our sins. You know, if you're born again, you don't have to really worry about your sins being judged for because you've been forgiven of the past, the present, and the future. It's all under the blood. But our talents and how we use them, we will be judged for that. As a matter of fact, 
Peter opened his mouth when he's given a sermon in the book of Acts, and he says, I see something that God is no respecter of persons, okay? And so God is looking at us, and he's saying, okay, if you are in a leadership position, and by the way, we all have people that are over us, uh, we have people that are next to us, and then we have people that are under us. And, and that has nothing to do with the worth of anybody, but that's just a fact of life. Because there's order within our lives. Uh, there's people that we are given a responsibility over. If you're a parent, you have responsibility over your children. If you're a husband, you have a responsibility over your wife. It doesn't mean that she's not as, uh, as intelligent as you are or not as important as you are, but God has placed you Amen, as the high priest of your home. And so Asaph is reminding them that God is going to render judgment among the leaders, the gods. And as you think about this, I want to remind you when you think about this, it has no difference whether you're Jew or Greek. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 2 whether you're bond or free, male or female, uh, for you're all one in Christ. And so no matter what your background, if you're male, female, it doesn't matter, uh, your nationality or anything, God is going to look at you and say, okay, I have placed you in a leadership position, how are you handling that? Are you leading with compassion? And then verse number two of Psalm 82 says, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? So a question is asked, how long are you going to keep doing this? You're a leader. Uh, When are you going to say something? When are you going to stand up and defend uh, those who have been unjustly treated? Uh, When are you going to stop showing partiality to the wicked? And then verse number three is actually the memory verse that we had as a church for this particular week. And it says, defend the weak, the fatherless, and uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Verse number five. The gods knew nothing. They understood nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Now, I want to focus on verses uh, 3 and 4, but in order for us to understand verse 3 and 4, I kind of give you the background for the first two verses. But verses 5 through 8 points out the fact that because we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing in defending those who are being unjustly treated, because we're showing partiality to the wicked, the Bible here says that we actually have no understanding. Because we lack compassion, we are losing our understanding. He says they walk about in darkness. The foundations of the earth are shaking. Now, this is not talking about the, the literal earth itself, but it's talking about the moral foundations are being shaken. But he reminds us, we are sons of the Most High. We're born in the image of God. And he says, but we're going to die like mere mortals. We're going to fall like anybody else. And so he says, rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. And so Asaph is saying, if God's people won't do it, if those who are in leadership positions won't do it, Lord, would you rise up and judge the earth? And so when you look at the history of the Bible, you look at the history of mankind, it's really relatively simple. God blesses a nation. God blesses the individuals of that nation. And as a result of that blessing, they prosper. They do really well, and they begin to have a lot of blessings in their lives, a lot of material blessings in their lives. And then what tends to happen is we begin to live our lives as if we don't need God. We go about our daily lives and we kind of go about and say, man, I've got plenty to eat. I've got plenty of money in the bank. 
I got a good house. I got a good vehicle to drive. I've got everything that I need. And then we tend to become absent-minded. We kind of forget where we got all these things. You know, everything we have was given to us by the Lord, but it's so easy to forget that. And as a result of prosperity, we tend to let our guard down. We tend to become complacent. We take these blessings for granted. And as a result, we begin to fall into sin. I think sometimes we get so bored because of all the blessings that we have, we find creative ways to sin because we get bored. And then we begin to be enslaved in our sin and we become entrapped in our sin. And then things begin to fall apart morally. And then things begin to fall apart uh, spiritually. And things begin to fall apart financially for us. And, And it's a slow unwinding of things falling apart. And then we find ourselves like the nation of Israel. We find ourselves in a mess. You know, the Israelites spent 400 years in bondage. The reason they spent 400 years in bondage is because for decades, yes, decades, they violated the Sabbath. They continued to worship the idols of the four nations. God blessed them. And yet, in spite of that blessing, they kept looking at the other nations that were rejecting God and wanting what they had. And as a result, God allows them to be in bondage for 400 years. Now, they must have been slow learners because they were in bondage for 400 years. But as I think about our lives, the same thing happens to us. And what happened to the nation of Israel? Well, they repented. It got so bad, they cried out unto the Lord, and, and God heard their cry, and God raised up a guy by the name of Moses, and God sends Moses in there to set those people free. And God gives them a blessing. Now, they still had learned their full lesson, and so they spend an additional 40 years in the wilderness. You know, a wilderness experience is not as bad as being in that enslavement experience, but the wilderness experience is is an opportunity for us to get Egypt out of us, to get the world out of us. You see, the Israelites were free from Egyptian bondage, but the Egyptian mindset was still within them. And so God says, I'm going to allow you to go into wilderness so that you can learn to adopt my mindset, so that you can start thinking like me. And it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of their minds, and finally it happens, and they go into the promised land, and God blesses them with prosperity. But the cycle continues. It doesn't stop, right? They continue doing well until their prosperity kind of goes to their head. So we can kind of see a cycle. We could call it the cycle of humanity, okay? And so Asaph is actually dealing with this And it's reminding us that the way that we can stop this cycle is by being compassionate, defending the weak, the fatherless, upholding the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So today and tomorrow, I want to talk to you about what is compassion, who needs it the most, and how do I become compassionate? So compassion comes from that Latin term. It actually means to feel with is the idea. Now, the Greek word actually has an even deeper meaning, and it means to feel and to be moved in your inner parts. Now, let's contrast compassion with pity. Pity is to feel sorry for somebody. You know, if you feel pity for somebody, you say, man, I wish things were different for them. I'm sorry they're going through what they're going through. Compassion, however, is deeper than that. Compassion is saying, not only do I feel for you, but I feel with you. It's, I'm going to go through this with you. Now, throughout the Bible, we're commanded 
to be compassionate one to another. For example, Paul says that we are to weep with those who weep. We don't just see somebody mourning and say, well, I feel uh, pity for you. I feel sorry for you. No, we enter into that grieving process with them, and we go through that process with them. Maybe the best way to understand this is, is a biblical example, okay? In John chapter 11, we see that Jesus lived out compassion. He wasn't just feeling sorry for the sisters of Lazarus. He was entering into their pain. He was feeling their pain. He was sharing their grief. You know the story, right? Uh, He gets word that Lazarus is sick, but he delays. Because he delays in going back to Lazarus, Lazarus dies. When Jesus gets there, his Lazarus sisters come out to him and says, you know, where were you? You know, if you got here sooner, you could have saved Lazarus, but but he's dead. And, and then Jesus weeps, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus weeps along with Lazarus' sisters, right? His heart is broken because he's lost a friend. He's entering into compassion with them. So compassion is feeling what somebody else feels. It's feeling with them. Jesus is feeling with them. And then he raises Lazarus up from the dead. So why is it that compassion is such a high priority for God's people? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons before we get into who most needs compassion, okay? Uh, the Bible commands it. In Galatians chapter 6, it says that we are to bear one another's burdens, and by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. So that verse could be literally translated, forbear one another's burdens, or constantly bear one another's burdens, or enter into a burden with another. And then it says, so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, remember what John MacArthur said about evil coming into a culture. When evil comes into a culture, it's because one of the divine restraints has been eradicated. That would be the law of Christ. In other words, we no longer feel compassionate for others. We no longer fulfill the law of others when we don't bear one another's burdens. Again and again in Scripture, it tells us, it actually commands us to do this. You know, Jesus called us, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Over and over, this is given. Now, this isn't just a side little thing that Jesus says, oh yeah, it'd be a good idea to love your neighbors. No, over and over again, he gives us this command. Jesus in John chapter 13 tells us, as he is uh, washing the feet of his disciples, he says, we ought to also wash the feet of others. Now, that was a, a culturally way of showing compassion. You showed compassion to somebody by taking on this lowly task that nobody liked to do, washing somebody else's feet. Now today, we would demonstrate the reality of God's love in, in, in different ways, not necessarily washing people's feet, but maybe um, uh, helping your neighbor with his yard work, or being compassionate and visiting people in the prison, or visiting people in the hospital. You know, compassion is, is such an, uh, an, an important biblical mandate uh, that we are told that we should be compassionate to all people, but especially to those of the household of faith. So the Bible commands us to be compassionate. Number two, compassionate people understand the importance and the value that is demonstrated in our biblical faith. In other words, if we truly are people of the book, the Bible, right? We are people that exhibit that faith by being compassionate. It shows other people that our faith is real, that it's genuine, 
that it's relevant to people where they are hurting and where they're living. You see, compassion in, in many ways is, is what people need the most today. Mother Teresa said this, loneliness is a great epidemic of the Western society. So there's this sense of loneliness that has been so ingrained in us because we are driven toward individualism. Loneliness has become an epidemic today, especially as we're coming out of the, uh, the shutdowns from the coronavirus. Did you know there is a major epidemic? There's a major increase in the rate of suicide. It's up 30%. Depression and anxiety is up about 50%. Listen, people need compassion more now than ever before. And when people feel like somebody really connects with them, not just pities them, but has compassion on them, they are deeply rooted with that person. And as a result, they will feel cared for, they will feel lifted up. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow as we look at who needs compassion the most. Psalm 82 talks about three groups of people that most need compassion. So feel free to join us tomorrow. And if I can help you in any way, feel free to give me a call at 757-421-7500, 757-421-7500. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to pray for you, pray with you. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.